Welcome to Modern Day, a podcast that celebrates curiosity as a tool for success. On this podcast, guests discuss what drives their motivation for change, how they've overcome obstacles, and the best lessons they've learned that we can apply to our own lives. This interview-style podcast allows us to ask real people real questions about their career, work hacks, and life. New episodes are published each week. Welcome back to Modern Day. Today, Stephen Clark, the anxiety survivor, is back. Stephen's previous episode of How to Deal with Workplace Anxiety was incredibly well-received, so I thought we could have him back and dive a little deeper into the world of workplace anxiety to speak specifically on anxiety within teams. Stephen, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to have you back again. Yeah, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. <laughs> great. I'm really, really excited. It's always good when when you ask somebody back and they say yes, right? If they say no, then you know they didn't have a very good experience. So I'm, I'm glad that you said yes, and I'm glad that you're back. And I, like I said before, your episode was super, super successful. And there's still people regularly listening to it. When I ever look at the the analytics, I'm just blown away. So I thought if we'd have you back and and talk a little bit more about it, everybody would appreciate that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. So anxiety affects most of the American workforce. You told us that in the last episode. How much of the anxiety do you think comes from the coworkers and not actually from the job itself? Um, Probably all of it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's, <laughs> it's probably not all of it, but I, you know, it's definitely a significant amount. Uh, you know, and I think since we last talked, and there's there's obviously still uh, a, a lot of work that mental health professionals um, have to do to really understand the, uh, you know, anxiety in general, right? You know, it, it's again something that's still relatively new that we talk about as a society, and there's not really a ton of studies that have really gone fully in depth. Uh, to understand, you know, exactly what causes every single uh, type of anxiety. You know, I think last time when we met, I shared uh, a quick statistic that about 40 million Americans, that's roughly one in four, suffer from some type of anxiety, whether it's generalized anxiety, or maybe a specific phobia of some kind. And and, And kind of going back through that, it was interesting uh, and looking through some of the studies that have been completed, and there's very few that have done like these really broad, in-depth studies. Um, there was a couple that, that were actually in Europe um, that were over 10,000 respondents. So, so a, a little bit of a bigger size of population to look at. And it really looked um, at what was that median age, um, you know, for the onset of generalized anxiety in particular. Um, and it looked at all anxieties, but, um, and it was pretty striking to find, at least in that study, that they they identified the age of 31. And, and as you look at that broad scope of all different types of anxiety, the largest age group, uh, the categories that were affected was between 18 and 34. And, and I think we talked a little bit about that in the last episode of how that is typically where most of us uh, are in our early to entering our mid-career uh, life, right? So we're in the middle of having children potentially. We're you know we're uh, have job promotions. We're changing jobs. Maybe we're changing uh, career fields altogether. Um, you know, so I, I think that there's a, you know a natural rubbing point there where you as a person are growing exponentially from the age of 18 to 34 and beyond, of course. But really that 18 to 34 is really a defining time in your life. And those people that you interact with every day, you know, in your workplace um, and, and, and the job that you do are absolutely 
um, rub points. They're, they're things that, you know, you've got so many responsibilities, you're changing so much. And how do you, how do you do that? So I, I think it absolutely, uh, it absolutely comes from your coworkers and your job itself, but you know, obviously there's other things too that get in there, but it, it, it's definitely, definitely a real thing. <laughs> I, I totally agree. And I actually think it's a really good point that you made. It sort of happens when so much is going on in your life. You're out of college, you're starting your career, you're really building your career and then many get married and have kids. And so you've got kind of so many different stresses that are coming around you and, and it's, it's very hard to deal with. And then when you said, you said, I wonder if all of it comes from, from the coworkers and not the job itself. I was like, Hmm, I wonder, you know, I, I'm surprised that people don't really take the time to, to look into that because I think if there is substantial data, then, then I would think that HR would be kind of all over that, you know? Um, and to make the workplace a little bit better from a coworker's perspective, not necessarily just from, you know, the jobs itself or, or exactly the culture from a high level, you know? So I think that's actually pretty interesting. I hope one day when all of this is over, obviously it's really hard to measure now, but um, that the, they will start getting a few more measurements on on specific data such as, you know, the coworkers and the environment. What specifically is it? Is it departmental? You know, what is it? So yeah, and but I think too, you know, to your point, I I, I think you know it, it it's not necessarily an HR thing though either. And I think you know hopefully we'll get a chance to kind of get to this a little bit in our conversation today and, and talking about you know that uh, that communication channel right and understanding how how challenging that can be for so many people and and you think of all the issues that are out there. Uh, for folks to get their job done, right? And you could sit down and, and you know, write down the top five things in your job that make it difficult for you to do that job. And I mean, it's probably, you know, not scientific at all to say this, but, you know, three out of five probably have something to do with someone in your office, right? Somebody that's not doing something they're supposed to be doing. So, uh, you know, I think there's definitely a piece, a piece excuse me, for HR, uh, there, but it's also down to the to the leadership level and 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 people like you and I or really anybody who's being called a leader these days. So well, that's a great segue into my next question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today we're called to be leaders. For some people, it's more natural, and for others, they sort of believe that leadership is is the same thing as having a new responsibility. They're sort of synonymous. I think they can be easily, and I think those people that believe that it's synonymous can be easily set up for failure just because it's, it isn't different. I don't think responsibility necessarily has to go in hand in hand with leadership. I mean, what do you believe? What's your take on that? And what do you think is the best way to show your team that you're supporting them? I mean, it's not easy to be a leader. I, I don't think that I think everybody's called to be a leader, but I don't think everybody is a leader. I don't think that it everybody can can mold themselves into the to to be a leader. I mean, I don't. What do you think about all of that? Yeah, I I think you're you're saying something that some people, quite honestly, need to hear more often is not everybody's a leader. Sometimes you're given responsibilities, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be this, you know, Steve Jobs of the world. And I, I think, you know, to, to your question, you know, what's the best way um, to really show your team that you support them and you're really being a leader? I, I This is going to sound really silly, but it's like, say that right back to them, you know, and, I, and I'm I'm in a relatively new leadership role in the last several months. And if, if any of my team members uh, get a chance to listen to this, they're, you know, they're 
they've heard me say this, is that I am here for you. I am here to help you move obstacles. And, and we, as a part of uh, our organization, we, we have a, a relatively structured environment where we work through quarterly goals and uh, we call them rocks. If you're familiar with the entrepreneurial operating system, EOS, um, then you might know what I'm talking about. But, um, you know, and I, I tell my team frequently that, you know, what can I do to move your rocks? What What is standing in your way? Um, and I, I think, you know, that's just the best way just to say it out loud, right? And just being, you know, trying to be the, trying to actually be a leader and working on being a leader. Um, you know, one of the big things that, that I try to focus a lot of time on and other leaders as well, and, and if I get a chance to talk to other leaders and they ask for any advice, is, you know, we spend a lot of time doing. And, and I think, you know, in particular during COVID, you know, all of us are doing more with less. Um, and, and I think sometimes we as leaders forget we need to actually work on being a leader. We need to work on creating a, a winning environment. And, and that really means working to define, clearly define, uh, not only expectations and goals for the team, right, but also giving people the big picture. Where are we going? You know, and I think supporting people uh, for the long term, right? So hopefully for longer than a year or two or whatever, you know, that term of that person being on your team is for, you know, but supporting people for the long term means understanding not just where we've been, but also where we're going. And I think sometimes we forget that because if you look at your to-do list, it's probably just a bunch of punch list things that you've got to get through as a leader just to keep your head above water. Um, and, and so, I, you know, it's funny when you think about, um, you know, there's this big, uh, you know, push right now, especially in the entrepreneurial world and, uh, you know, for, you know, fail fast, fail often kind of thing as a leader, uh, you know, put something out there and just fail often. And I don't really quite subscribe to that when it comes to leadership. I, I think it's more of an iterative process. It's something that you just got to continually chip away and continually work on. Um, and, and so as I look at that, that environment you, and supporting team members, you can't think about it like, uh, you know, these big giant, uh, you know, I'll use my rocks analogy again. You can't think about them as big giant rocks. You've got to think about them as little tiny rocks and you've got to move each one of them and they roll downhill and they get, and they gather together, um, you know, and, until you make that big move. So it's definitely not, not a quick. I, I agree. And I, I've, I think I've said this many times to various people. I, I don't think that the simple to-do list is sort of it for, for leaders, you know, I what it is that you need me to do and just do A, B, C, D. I think sometimes that support that you need is sometimes, I think it's a little bit further. And I think that's the, the, the sort of the difference between then just getting something done for your team versus actually being there to support them. You know, what is it? And I think part of it, you know, when you tell your, your, your team, what is it that you need me to support you? How can I support you? You're really just telling them, can I'm going to listen. What is it that you want me to do? I, I need to listen into the problems? How can I help you solve these problems? And that I think is, it's a different approach. It might, you might think, oh, that says the same thing. But I think the approach is so different that people feel a little bit more open to speak to you. And I think that's really important in a a team environment. Yeah. And, and I think you, you hit on something right there with that, you know, with the listening piece and, and everybody talks about, we all need to do more listening. If you pick up a business book and sneeze on a page, you're going to find the word listen. Uh, but I, I, I think it, you have to as a leader, and I have to force myself a lot, to be quite frank, uh, to actually want to listen. And I think people, 
in the past, you know, and even, I would say, you know, five years ago or more, or whatever, doesn't pick a time. Um, you know, it was really like we kind of had when you created a team, you created a team with just a bunch of people. Oftentimes, there were people that you adopted. Uh, you never got to choose your team, um, and you just said, you know what, these guys are terrible. I'm just going to do the job myself. I'm going to stress myself up to my eyeballs. I'm going to push through it, and I think new leadership in the world of, you know, COVID and hope one day we can say post COVID in one of our interviews yeah, I know, <laughs> right? is to say, you know, you have to be willing to have team members that aren't at your level and you have to be comfortable in being uncomfortable and saying, you know, this person needs to be developed. You need to listen to their concerns. You need to understand how to make them more effective. And and what I've told my team, and I, I've actually, I can literally feel one of my team members, if she's going to listen to this, rolling her eyes at me when I say this. But it's like, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow or an airplane, since I work in aviation, um, God forbid, if that happens, they should be able to move on tomorrow like nothing even happened. Like, you know, show up to the funeral, say your thing, dance a little because it'll be a party uh, and then move on with life, you know, because uh, it's about the organization and creating a, a, an ecosystem that just functions. Um, so, yeah, it's listening, but you got to really, really work on it. You got to be willing to work on it. And it's hard. It's hard. It's very hard. And I think it also goes back to my first question. You know, is it is it the environment? Is it the job? Is it coworkers? And if you work really hard to create a great working environment for people. If you take the time to listen to your team, to listen to what it is that is bothering them, what they feel like it needs to be, there needs to be improvement on, that also creates a, a better team 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 working environment, meaning that hopefully less of the anxiety is on it comes from the coworkers and is coming a little bit more from the job. You know, you, you nobody wants. I mean, you spend most of the time at work. Nobody wants to spend time with people that they don't get along with or they don't like. You spend all your day at work. I mean, at least I do. So, and even virtually, if you have to talk to them over email, and and everybody says that email has no tone and or whatever. I feel like I've received a few emails that definitely come with some undertone there. So <laughs> you know, and that doesn't make it any easier. And then you've got tension. So I I agree. Listening to them and and is is really important. And I've always used the hit by a bus analogy with people. All, I mean, I I think I've done that maybe five times in the past two days. So I, I agree with that statement. <laughs> so communication, we're talking about listening. Communication is probably the biggest challenge that managers and employees have today between each other, even between departments. What are your thoughts on developing proper channels of communication to your team? What are the effects of underdeveloped channels of communication? And do you think that they regularly trigger anxiety? I think the lack of communication in the workplace probably, if you talk about anxiety as something from a professional level, I think the lack of communication is number one. Um, and again, I you know we talk we talk about this COVID thing as it continues to burn on, and what is that new reality you know of business quote unquote you know moving forward? But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know we will get through this. Everybody kind of gets that at some point we're going to figure this thing out. Um, and just because we're in the middle of a pandemic doesn't do, you know dissolve us of the requirement to to lead our people. And I think the two things in my my short career that I can point to that I've experienced have caused me 
direct anxiety, literally having panic attacks because of this in the past was a, one was a le- the leadership, a, a leader's inability to really define a vision. We talked a little bit about that already. Um, and then a fear of conflict and not wanting to create conflict. And, you know, to talk about the first one, you know, that defining a vision, you know, there's, um, I, I grew up, uh, in a military family. My, my father was in the air force. Um, and, and I remember, you know, being a kid and, and reading through a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the military stuff and, you know, generals and stuff. And it's something I've continued as an adult, um, just very interesting. And, and there was, I can't quite remember who it was, but, um, this military leader had said, you know, a decision is better than no decision, you know, and it's often better to, to make a decision and be bold and be wrong and then make a pivot than it is to just really stand by and do nothing. And, um, you know, that as you talk about making a vision, I think a lot of leaders, especially during COVID, they're scared. They're, they don't understand where things are going to be at. They're just afraid to make a projection. And, and I think what happens is then you get into this territory where people are just treading water for God knows how long, you know, it's months at this point, we're in what, eight, month 18 or 90, I lost count, whatever it is, you know, we're, you know, you're just kind of treading water and you're not really going anywhere. Um, and, and so I think you have to be bold. You have to make, uh, you know, educated guesses, but you, you have to be okay with being wrong as a leader. You have to be able to say, well, that was wrong. Let's pivot. Let's go here. And, and, and that really talks to that iterative process that I, that I uh, mentioned at the very top of the call. Um, is that, you know, nobody's expecting you to, to make iPhone, the next new iPhone, right? They're just expecting you to get them to their next dang paycheck. You know, it's a pretty simple process, uh, as leader, get me to my next paycheck. And so that way I can take care of my family and take care of myself. Um, you know, which then kind of cascades down into the second point there, which is that fear of conflict. And, you know, put on everybody put on your Patrick Lencioni hat here because that man is the master uh, of talking through uh, you know how to create healthy conflict and, and really looking through the lens of um, you know all great relationships whether they're you know it's a personal one uh, you know or at work create creates conflict and, and when you talk about communication, and being that biggest challenge that we really have today, we're too afraid of getting into healthy excuse me, healthy conflict and, and finding the best possible solution uh, for the organization. And, and you look at that, you know, I think I, I mentioned uh, earlier, you know, make a list of the top five things that stop you from doing your job. Um, you know, and three of the five would probably have something to do with, you know, uh, April and accounting. Sorry for all the Aprils that are listening to this uh, later. But, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, if you could just sit in a room with your team and if April's on that team and she sits there and just say, you know, and, the, and you as a leader, you say, hey, what's, you know, what's causing the issue? Why are our customers not getting uh, their payment quickly? Everybody's going to bite their tongue. but Someone in that room needs to say and needs to be encouraged to say, we're not getting the invoices from April and they're coming delayed. And that, God, that's uncomfortable. Oh my gosh, is that, it's just terrible. But guess what? When you don't say it, 
It just continues on and on and on and on. And 30 years later, she's picking up her pension. And the first thing everybody says is, oh, my God, thank God April left. Now we can finally get to work. It's been 30 years. you know, And we just continue to do these things where we don't create conflict. And it, again, it's so uncomfortable. But it's, it's a necessary thing that we have to do as leaders to create those communication, open those communication channels and and be willing to play in the danger zone a little bit. It's not fun, but that's not the reason why you sign up to be a leader is to always have fun. You, you sign up to lead people and that's good and bad. So it, you know, it's, it's a challenge, but again, I'm sorry for all the Aprils, uh, Aprils in accounting. She is, she's great, but, uh, it's, it's a challenge. (laughs) I agree. I agree. It is a challenge. And actually I think part of it is trying to empower people to be, I think, honest about processes and processes that don't work. Um, and that's, I think that's the kind of conflict that you will see between a manager and a leader. You know, there's so many people that say it's the same. There are so many people that say they're completely different. A leader leads, a manager uh, focuses on um, enforcing processes. So they're different. Um, and obviously, if you live, if you work in a fast-paced environment, which many of us do, very few people that I know say that their work environment is very relaxed and slow. <laughs> I think, especially now when you don't even know what's going on half the time, I think it's it's definitely, it feels, even if it's not, it feels very fast paced. For some, it's very easy to keep up. For others, not as much. And I think that just comes back to the, the type of work, the type of person. But if you're empowering someone who's struggling, I think that's, or if you're trying to, I think that's pretty difficult to do. Do you think there are ways that we can empower someone that is struggling? Maybe they're not used to a fast workplace environment. Maybe at the very end we decide that they or they even decide they're not cut out for very fast paced environments. I mean, how do you get them to performing to the best of their ability? And I think this kind of comes back to the sink or swim. And and what happens if we just let them sink or swim or really try to nurture that that employee and and really build them up? and empower them to be the best performing employee they can be. I think if, so in in my mind, I think about this um, in, you have to understand um, where that particular team member who's struggling, where they, where they sit. And if you're a new leader into a role and and you've identified that person as, you know, struggling with, you know, XYZ task or whatever it is, um, I think it's helpful to understand what environment they've been in before. And, And, Probably the the biggest piece I can think of um, that you can do to empower that person is to to actually sit down with them and take the pressure off a little bit and really help them understand how them being how their success, what they're doing and being successful plays into this the team's success. Um, you know, oftentimes again, we go back to that vision thing. you know how how do you play in the sandbox? What is your if you make a widget? And your entire job is to sit on the production line and you make a widget uh, or we'll go more modern and you write a line of code. You know, you <clears throat> you write a line of code and that's all you do. You, you're just the, you just write lines of code all day long. How how do you uh, as a leader connect that person to the greater success of the team? You know, and it could be very small. Right. It could be like, hey, this this piece of code protects our, uh, you know, credit card compliance. Uh, or, you know, pick, pick example, it doesn't matter what it is, but, you know, sitting down and understanding and giving them that, that perspective to say, Hey, without you as a part of this being successful, 
the rest of the team fails. And we go back into that accountability thing, right? And we go back to our example of, uh, you know, with April and in, in invoicing uh, is, um, you know, if she doesn't understand that, you know, she doesn't get that invoice out on time, um, it cascades. The sales team doesn't get their their check, right? They don't get their commission if they're on commission. Uh, and the business suffers from a cash flow standpoint. And maybe the business is tied on cash because it's COVID and they can't sell half of their product line. But again, without someone speaking up and saying that to them and saying, hey, without you delivering today, without you delivering on the, on your job title or, or excuse me, your job function, um, the, the, the organization, the team fails. And if you want to fix performance with someone, and I don't think this is a secret, so I don't feel like I'm telling anything people haven't heard before, but if you really want to fix a poor performer, show them how they're making the entire team fail. That is how you fix performance. It's not, you need to deliver me 25 lines of code or 150 widgets a day, or we're a failure. It's if you don't deliver that line of code in the proper way, we don't get to run credit cards today, which means the company runs out of cash in 13 days. That changes the conversation. And that says to that person, sink or swim, baby, get in or get out. And you can only do that by sitting down and having that conversation and giving them that vision of how they play in the sandbox. And I think that's really great because sometimes when we're working in our organizations and we're so buried in work, you're kind of in the forest. You don't see the bigger picture. You don't see how vital your position is. And if you don't have a really good manager, a really good leader that tells you why it is that you're so important, why the job that you do is so important, sometimes you can kind of, you know, run out and be like, well, you know, it. I'm not appreciated or I don't know what it is that I'm supposed to be doing or what it, why it even matters. And, and I, and unfortunately I think a lot of people fall in that line. So it is, it is difficult. And I think people, we kind of forget to even do that with each other as even as coworkers, you know, because I think most of the, probably most of the complaints you have go from coworker to coworker. They very rarely go from coworker to manager Unless, of course, something's really bad or you have a specific relationship with your manager. So um, I think they do go with coworker to coworker. And sometimes that, that piece of information gets lost. And if you're lucky enough to have a coworker that's a really good leader to begin with, um, maybe they'll fill in that little gap. But it, it doesn't always happen. So speaking of coworker to coworker, I see friends that are coworkers. I see them stressed all the time. And I never really know what to say to help alleviate some of that stress and some of that anxiety that they probably feel daily. I think I always ask them, is there anything I can do for you? Can I help you with anything? Usually the answer is no, which means that it, whatever it is, it's their work that they have to get done. But I don't know, I mean, what else can you, can we do? What do you think is, is best? Yeah. Uh, it's probably, that's a really hard question. I, I it's probably the most difficult thing, uh, right now in COVID. Uh, to really understand how to connect. Look, I, I think, you know, COVID in particular ha has provided an interesting uh, opportunity for us to realize that what we're all going through is a very deeply human experience. And if you're not frazzled, stressed, or completely overwhelmed at some point since, you know, February, March to now, um, you're probably not human. You're <laughs> you're probably some like cyborg that's just like parading around. Maybe an alien. That's possible. Um, 
but for the rest of us humans, you're doing the right thing. But I think it's also seeking to actually create a connection and putting yourself out on the ledge. And you talk about, you know, we talked a little bit about that leadership style of kind of opening lines of communication, encouraging healthy conflict. But I also think, you know, with, with leadership, you have to be willing to also put yourself out there and call yourself out or encourage others to call yourself out when you're not doing well. But in this case, to say, you're not always doing okay. Right. And, and again, none of us are doing perfect. None of us are, you know, doing the most or having the most amazing time of our lives right now in the middle of COVID. Um, you know, so how how you can connect with that person is, again, take that pressure off of them and, you know, put it on yourself. Right. And just, you know, when someone when you ask that person and say, hey, how you doing? And they, they come back and say, oh, yeah, I'm doing fine. Thanks. You know, and most people, not always, most people will say, how about you? Are you doing are you doing OK? And take a deep breath, kids, and say, you know what? I'm struggling. I'm struggling right now. You know, I've got, you know, my, I got a family member that's not doing well. You know, there's a lot of expectations on the team. And, you know, we're all lifting heavy. And I just want everybody to know that I appreciate them. And, and I just want, I, I just want us to be doing the best we can. And if you do that, you take a step back and you you actually don't say, yeah, I'm doing fine. See you later. Bye. And you dive into the deep end of the pool and open it up. You're creating a conversation. You're, and maybe it doesn't go anywhere. Sure. But maybe that person, especially with anxiety, if you if you tell a person who has anxiety that you've suffered from anxiety, and I've, I've done this. I have many of my 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 colleagues uh, that at my work were when many of them found out that I had suffered from anxiety for you know fifteen plus years. It, I, it was dozens of people came up to me and said, "Oh yeah, hey, you know, I I've suffered or my family member," and you know now when I approach those people and say, "How you doing?" It's never or it's not always a I'm doing good. See you later. You know, it's not a quick thing. It's a it's a let's stop and talk, and you've created a connection. And so I think you have to you have to be you have to take that deep breath and dive in to that danger zone into that uncomfortableness. And it's, it's awkward, but we as humans depend on connections and we have to be willing to do that work as leaders. I agree. I agree with that. And I think that maybe people don't realize it. I think part of it too, is I think some people are very keen on respecting others' privacy. And I'm sort of a very private person. So I don't know that I would particularly open up. But I think if you take it as they're just baby steps, you know, and you ask somebody, how are you doing? How can I help you? You seem a little stressed. And then, you know, they'll, they might shut you down and be like, no, I'm fine. Thank you. And then the next time, you know, you never know. You just, it's, it's cultivating a relationship. Um, and then eventually when they sort of open up, then you can help them a little bit more. And some people, like I have one coworker, some people, she's, she's very, very open. And, and I love that because I know exactly where she stands all the time. And I've never really had to go through the whole, you know, step-by-step process of co- cultivating a relationship with her. Um, so there, it's different, but I mean, baby steps, I think is probably the best way to do that. And, and like you said, just feeling a little bit more relatable. I think that's, that's probably also a good, a good way to, to do, to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you're right. And and get I I'm advocating for this big this big leap of faith, but for for anybody who's listening, right? The baby step is still a great move. You know, you have to find your level of comfort. Uh, you know, but you also have to be willing to to 
to kind of take the take the armor off a little bit at times. And, and it, it doesn't have to be a personal thing. It could be a work-related thing, right? You're struggling on a project. You know, at, at the end of the day, if, if there's one thing I could rid my life of, and maybe this is me personally, is, you know, that that interaction of, hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. You doing good? Yeah, I'm doing good. See ya. Like, you have that conversation a thousand times a day, and it's a little bit of a pleasantry, and I, I understand that, you know, being respectful. But, you know, you have so few minutes in your in your life uh, to actually make an impact. And every time you have that interaction, even if it's 30 seconds or it's two minutes or whatever it is, yeah, if if it could be used for good rather than just a pleasantry, what a world we'd live in. Wow, that's pretty powerful to say. And <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I hope I wish more people would would think that way because it is it is pretty powerful. And and somebody said something very similar to me a long time ago. And I I every time I walk past somebody, I I really sometimes it doesn't happen, but I really do try to make an effort, you know, because I I think I've noticed it now that they've said that to me that the ones that make the effort to with me, I sort of see that and I appreciate it as opposed to just being kind of like walking down the hallway, hi, hi, kind of thing. I I, I appreciate it more. So I, I get it. I see the other side and I, I think that's pretty powerful. So have you ever told someone that they've missed the mark as a leader? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I've had it on me. <laughs> I've had it on me many times. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's actually really funny. I, I had it happen to me recently. Um, and I, here I am talking all rosy about, you know, things you can do as a leader and things like, like, let's not forget (laughs) that, you know, I'm just a voice on a podcast and I am full of failures (laughs) and, and I've missed the mark many times personally and dropped the ball, forgotten to loop in coworkers, important meetings, negotiations. Um, you know, but, you know, when you talk about when someone misses the mark, you know, it's, it's part of life. It's like, it's part of learning. Right. So yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and having that conversation on my, like giving it back to someone is, is, is difficult, but absolutely. I've been there. And if you've been there, I mean, I guess you've been on both sides now. Some you've told, you've told somebody that they've missed the mark and somebody's told you that they've missed the mark. If you have a poor leader in your organization, what's your advice about this? If you have a poor leader in your organization and you can tell that the leadership style is affecting your coworkers, it's affecting the work environment, it's affecting everybody's daily life. And you really see a lot of people bogged down and a lot of people complaining. How, how would you deal with that? What would you say? Yeah, I, you know, I, 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 I'm going to throw it back on myself a little bit here because, okay. you know, I, I really want to take my armor off and, and talk about when the most important thing a leader has ever done to me in, in helping me develop is to sit down with me and tell me I've missed the mark and, and explain why. And it's a very, very difficult conversation. And I think as a leader, you really have to be prepared. You have to sit down and think through how you're going to have that conversation. But most of us, most of us in, in the workforce have, you know, uh, mission statements or company values. And I, I mean, it's probably not scientific again, but 95% of companies, they just hang them up on the wall and they're there. Very few companies literally live them every single day. And, you know, in my eyes, if you're going to create an organization that values its values, its core values, 
then you have to be willing to hold people accountable to those core values. So if, for instance, one of those things is accountability, and, and, and we'll, use, we'll use a real example, right? So accountability to deliver a project. You're, you're responsible to deliver this report, which goes to the executive team. And by failing to deliver that project, you're hurting the team. And someone needs to speak up about that. Someone needed to come to me and say, and, and we talked about this early, right? In the conversation is like, I needed to understand that if I didn't get that guest service report to the leadership team, they wouldn't understand how our guests were feeling. I just thought it was some silly report. It's, you know, it's a pain in the butt to make. It takes me two or three hours. Uh, I feel like I'm writing a briefing for the CIA. I'm not doing anything that has anything to do with my, you know, what I felt at the time was my job, but it was just another task I had to do. And then when, when I sat down, you know, with that leader and they said, no, like, hey, this is how we use this. This is one of the most important reports we get every month. And this is how we make decision ab- decisions about where we're going to focus on the next 30 days. And when we didn't get that report, we had to make it up and we missed the mark. The team missed the mark. And it goes back on me because of that. Um, and so I think, you know, accountability is just, a, just an easy example, but pick any value. You have a challenge with a, with a coworker who's just a jerk. You know, you, as a leader, you have to be willing to speak up. And, and I guess at the end of the day, and I'll, I'll make it easy for everybody is you have two choices, whether you're a leader or not, you're just, you could be just entry level, you know, person, you can address the issue in some way, whether you sit down with that person, talk through it, you talk to your superior about it, or however you go through that channel, depending on where you're at in your career, or you leave. Those are your only two choices. And so, you know, the, the, this is, you know, 2020, right? So we're, we're, uh, an evolving society, the greatest experiment in, in, in industry ever on the face of the earth. Like, you can make your choices, that's fine. But if you truly love what you do and you believe in the mission and you, you identify yourself as somebody who works X, you know, at X industries, you have two choices. You address it or you leave. And again, it's a big leap of faith. And sometimes, you know, I don't think... To your point, I don't think there's too many baby steps that could be taken here. <laughs> you, you almost have to dive in on this one. But how many people know, uh, and maybe you're listening to this conversation and this will, this will hit you hard. How many people do you work with that have worked, that you've worked with them for 5, 10, 15 plus years and they do terrible work and you just keep putting up with them because, well, you know, they've always been here. That's just who they are. Like, why is that okay? Like, why are we okay as a, as a society, as a business, as, a, as this, this organism, right? Because a business is like an organism, right? It's evolving. It, it's, it, why are we still okay with having people who are toxic in our lives, you know, and, and having leaders put up with them, you know? And, and, and I'll, be, I'll leave it at this just to say, you know, if in particular, if your toxic person is your best salesperson in the organization, but everybody else is terrible because of that toxic person, if you really truly believe in your organization, you you can get rid of that person and your organization will live. It will survive. Because again, what happens if that individual gets hit by a bus? 
where's the company? If you, if you allow that toxic person to stick around forever and ever and ever, when they get hit by the bus, now you've got a team of people who have never done the job because they were always under this toxic environment. So you have two choices. That's quite the perspective. I've been I a mean, part of that. It's, it's, it's ugly, but I've been a part of that. I, I mean, I, I remember at a past job, we had to terminate someone and it took way too long. But the second we did, we, we gained millions of dollars in sales. These, these people who were, you know, we thought just weren't great at sales, all of a sudden became amazing salespeople. Well, it's because there was a jerk that they had to work with and compete against. <laughs> I agree with that. And you know what? I think that everybody has had one of those in their organization, past, present, whatever. They've had one of those people that you're just sitting there and going, seriously? And and it's crazy because there are so many people out there that have so much potential and they never actually get to live it because you know they have, like you said, a jerk right in front of them that's not letting them move forward. So I think I think it is. And like you said, too, I'm not sure it's quite the the baby step. You really kind of have to dive into that one, too. And and it's definitely I would think that it's definitely worth it. There's always a business case for everything, but I definitely think that that would be worth it. That was a really good perspective on it. (laughs) So before we end our call today, what is one piece of advice that you want to leave us with? Last time you left us with amazing advice. This time throughout this entire session, you've given us great perspective, great advice. But what is one thing that you want to leave this session with today? Yeah, I, I want to go back to our to our first conversation. And I had I had posted the the podcast on on my personal LinkedIn page, a couple of places too, of course, celebrating uh, you and for what you're doing here and, and going into the deep end of the pool, by the way, whether you know it or not. This was not a baby step for you either. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a I had a, a gentleman reach out to me and he's he's very um what I'll consider a very high ranking individual um in a in a multi multi billion dollar company, one of our one of our vendors. And he called me and he said, you know, I don't know why I listened to your pod this podcast you were on. He's like, I, I, I didn't think it, it really identified with me. And, and then he said, but you know what? I've been struggling to find a way to help my daughter who is dealing with anxiety or dealing and dealing with a tough workplace. And he said it just for a moment, it kind of gave me some hope that there was going to be a future there for her. And for me, I, I want to go back to what I said when I left last time is that we're not alone. And COVID and whatever's next, God forbid, whatever's next in this life for all of us, none of us are alone. And we've got to move away from thinking that we have to do you know, Herculean tasks alone. The, the future of business is not built on a single individual. You know, sure, there's talking heads out there, but at the end of the day, we have to do it together. For us, even COVID, for us to overcome COVID, it's not going to take one person putting on a mask or one person to make a vaccine or whatever. Pick your pick, whatever you want. It's going to take a team of people, and it's going to be upon the leadership in those respective areas to re to to gather those people together. And work through all of the issues, personal, professional, interpersonal, whatever they may be, to deliver the future of business in on a global scale. And so, you know, whether it's somebody suffering from anxiety, 
um, or it's business, a toxic coworker, whatever it is, like, like your people aren't alone. Like you can reach out, you can get help. Um, and, and I'll leave it with this statistic that I always thought was really interesting, um, with anxiety in particular, you know, anxiety, one in four, you know, millions and millions of people suffer from it, but only 36, 37% of Americans ever seek treatment and it's curable. I'm, I'm a living example of that. I'm a living example of that. You know, seven, eight years ago, I wanted to kill myself. I wanted to commit suicide. And here I am today and having a conversation at a level I never thought would be possible because I got help. So whether you're dealing with anxiety, you're dealing with coworker challenges, whatever it is, like reach out, like other leaders are there to help and get you through it because nobody has to be alone anymore. I think that's a really helpful message because there are a lot of people out there that that do feel alone. And thank you for um for letting me know of of that friend that you have. It's always good to to hear feedback on people that it's really impacted the podcast is really impacted and I think that your episode like I said before in particular impacted a lot of people because it's the one episode that just keeps growing when I look at the analytics, the amount of people that have listened to it. So I always think, you know, we need more conversations about this. I mean, clearly it affects everybody. So thank you. And thank you so much for being here today. I know it's a very early Saturday morning, but um, I appreciate it. And I always appreciate all of the, the wonderful insight that you give us. So thank you so much. Absolutely. You're doing amazing things. Keep it up. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.